This is Jim Harmer, and you're listening to the Improved Photography Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by ImprovedPhotographyPlus.com. You can basically get all of the trainings that we have on Improved Photography, plus hundreds of Lightroom presets and photography contracts and uh, raw files that you can use, uh, background skies to put into your photos, uh, and lots more on ImprovedPhotographyPlus.com, all for one subscription, subscription for $19.95 a month, and there's even a free trial. So get your two-week free trial today at ImprovedPhotographyPlus.com. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Improved Photography Podcast. Today, I am joined by the photo taco himself, Jeff Harmon. Hey, Jeff, how are you? Good, Jim. How are you? I'm doing great. Well, uh, we have a whole bunch of different stuff uh, to talk about. We are going to talk a little bit about model releases in the opening of today's uh, podcast. We're going to talk... um, uh, we're going to go through quite a few of listener question, questions, some uh, print lab winners, some tests that were done by Brian McGuckin, and lots more. Uh, plus the doodads of the week, of course. We can't skip that. But I wanted to talk today about model releases. A few weeks ago, I did an episode of Tripod, uh, our landscape photography podcast uh, that was all about uh, the kind of the legal side of landscape photography. Uh, but there's a whole other side for portrait photography that I wanted to talk about today. Um, the, the biggest question that I see from, uh, from portrait photographers is when you need a model release. Jeff, do you use model releases very often? Well, I, I not formally like I should. <laughs> <laughs> so that I've used them um, kind of informally, like as I'm working with my portrait clients, I, j- I mostly just want to make sure I'm okay in publishing like the shots to Facebook and stuff to advertise my services. Uh-huh. So it's, it's not, uh, it's not, uh, it's maybe your website or social media um, that you're going to cover, but that's, that's it. And, and all I do is just say, are you okay with that? And they say yes. And then that's it. So there's no Verbally? contract. <sighs> Jeff. Yeah, I know. Jeff. I know. <laughs> <laughs> You're an improved photography plus member. There's contracts on there, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it's good when you when you have a portrait photography client <laughs> to just have a line in a contract that just says exactly how you can use it. And mine, I usually make very broad that you know technically I could sell the photo as stock and stuff, but but I wouldn't. I think you know if somebody's paying you to be their photographer, I wouldn't go back and sell the photo as stock. Uh, that'd be a little bit. I don't know. I don't think I'd be okay with that because most people, you know, though they sign, uh, you know, the contract you have them, they're not really thinking through, you know, that you're going to put this on a billboard or something, especially if they're paying you to take the pictures. But I, man, I think just having a simple model release in a contract is is a very, very big deal. Um, you know, even if it's just, you know, just a two sentence thing that says, you know, it's okay if you use my likeness in, in, uh, in commercial and advertising photography, etc. Um, it makes all the difference. But the, the question for model releases is not whether you can take the photo. The question is, how is the photo going to be used? Um, so sometimes a street photographer will ask, you know, do I need a model release? And usually what they're what they're saying is, you know, am I allowed to take this photo? And it just doesn't make any difference whatsoever. So if I'm I'm on the streets of New York, whatever, and I want to take photos of, of people, street photography, I don't need a model release. I can just go ahead and take the picture. Nothing is stopping me from doing that. If the person is in a public place, they have no expectation of privacy. And so you can just go ahead and take the picture. 
So model releases have nothing to do with your ability to take a picture. It's really only, uh, the question is only, can the photo be used or published in a certain way? Right. Um, and, and you know your your use of that photo is going to be severely limited if you if you don't have that release. So, all right, Jeff, here's your test. Um, <laughs> you are you're out taking pictures. You take a picture of of uh, of somebody on the on the streets, and you want to use that photo in fine art photography. You want to print that and sell it in a gallery. Do you need a model release? Um. Yes. <sighs> Probably not, actually. Oh, dang it. <laughs> so, so, so if you're walking down the street, Jeff, you're a very photogenic guy. I get a picture of you, and I, I want to print that and put it in my gallery and sell it to somebody. I can totally just go ahead and do that. Um, okay. It, there's, um, the reason is that it's, it's fine art photography, which is considered an editorial use. Oh. Um, there are some limitations to that, or I wouldn't say limitations, just some things that haven't been quite fleshed out in, in the U.S. court system. Um, uh, yeah, one, one of the famous uh, cases on this was a, a photographer in New York anyway, and the, the actual holding of that case specifically mentions that it's a, a limited print run. And so we don't, we don't know really, you know, a limited edition print. So we don't know really what happens if, if you're selling a million prints of this. Uh, that's probably going to change the use a little bit. All right. Okay. Now let's say I take that same photo of you that I took on the street, and now I want to put that on a book cover. What do you think now? Uh, okay, so <laughs> now I'm questioning because I thought I knew this, but um, no, you need the model release. It's a big question mark. It's a big question mark because, you know, it, it's a fine art photo. If I were to make, you know, an art book, you know, of just my art, it's probably it's going to be fine to put it in there. Uh, but the cover is a little bit different because now the book cover is what is advertising the yeah, book. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's just a little bit different of a place. And I, I did quite a bit of research on this to, to figure out, you know, the book cover issue and... I'm going to say I wouldn't do it uh, until this is better, uh, better settled. Um, but, uh, but the book, book covers a question, but the, the biggest uses, you know, if we take a picture of somebody at a wedding, whatever, uh, is can I put it on my website and can I use the photo in social media? And so that's the situation that that's, that you're facing the right, Jeff. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. You're, you're out taking pictures of people, portrait client, whatever, and you just, uh, you know, you want right. to put it and, in your portfolio. And, right. And they almost never have any challenge with it. I, I do ask and I just need to get them to sign a paper instead of, you know, just do verbal. <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> yeah. Um, and, and there it's, you know, it, it is again, changing the use a little bit, uh, or it depends how it's used. Because if I put this on social media and I just, you know, say, you know, there was a wedding today that I photographed, that's probably fine. You're just saying what the, what the event is. Sure. If this is, you know, you're putting this in a Facebook ad or you boost your post and you're saying, Hey, you know, come get my thousand dollar wedding package and stuff. Again, that's changing the use a little bit. Now it's a lot more advertising. It's going to look a little bit more like a sponsorship, like that person endorses what you're doing. Um, it really is going to change things. I, I, another place that you can kind of see that 
um, is if you're doing anything, um, you know, let's say you, you photograph a, a celebrity, you see Jennifer Aniston walking down the streets of, of Hollywood and you snap a couple pictures. Well, if Jennifer Aniston's ki- kissing her boyfriend on the street and we didn't, we don't know who this boyfriend is. He's this new guy. Um, <laughs> then, and I want to sell that photo to a newspaper. Uh, it's not a problem. You can, Go ahead. That's news. Anything with news. Editorial use, right? Yeah, you're, That's you're, like the definition of editorial use. Yeah, you're yeah. basically scot-free. If, if this is news, you're, you're going to be fine um, because it's, uh, yeah, because the public has an interest in, in putting that news out. But right. then what if, you know, what if Jennifer Aniston sits down at a hair, sits down at a hair salon, they're blowing her hair back and it looks all, you know, blowy, hairy. <laughs> And the and the the hairstylist is behind her with a black apron. It's like oh, perfect background. It looks like she's in my studio. And you shoot this photo through the window of the salon, and now you're like, ha, awesome street photo. I just happened to get her sitting there. I want to sell this to be on the on the cover of Vogue. Uh, she just happened to be there sitting on there. Well, the problem is that's not a news use anymore. Uh, You know, Jennifer Aniston getting getting a haircut isn't isn't a newsworthy event, first of all. But more importantly, the the way that it's being published isn't news unless it was Jennifer Aniston gets haircut in Hollywood. Well, then, okay, maybe (laughs) fine. But if it's just like, you know, how to look like Jennifer Aniston, then no, you kind of lost your uh you kind of lost your your newsiness of this, and then you're going to need a model release. All right, so there's a rundown of of uh, of model releases, kind of when you're generally going to need them with portrait photography. You know, there is a lot of gray area as we were talking through there, and so really, just the best thing is when you have a portrait photography client, just get a simple release and have it in your contract. If you don't have a contract, we have one free PDF uh, on improvephotography.com. Uh, uh, if you just Google free photography contract, you'll probably see it there. Um, uh, but you can get the custom. That's just a PDF. If you want to get the customizable in a doc format and everything, and we'll have you know a regular model release and your contract and your real estate photography contract and all kinds of stuff. Property release, everything. They're fifteen bucks. You can get them on the Improved Photography Store, or if you're an Improved Photography Plus member, you can get it there. Uh, but another option I wanted to mention is uh, is apps. Have you downloaded like the Easy Release app, Jeff? No, I, I, so when you brought that up with me just a little while ago and I thought, ah, you know, that's what I should do. Then when I just go and meet with them, that's when I usually talk with them any, anyway about it is just say, Hey, uh, are you okay with me sharing these, uh, some of the best on social media? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I find I'd say, I just say, well, then will you sign this? That would fit into my workflow just great. And I don't think it would be too awkward. It's kind of what I worried about a little bit with getting them to sign a piece of paper was the formality of it and, and, and having them go, well, wait a minute, what am I signing here? What's the, what am I giving away by giving, by signing this paper and, uh, and having them worry about it more than, than what they need to. Um, so, so the app would seem like a, a little less formal, <laughs> a little less, uh, I don't know, scary <laughs> for them to fill out. Yeah, and I wish that app existed like you're describing. I love the easy release app like when I'm working with a model um, and I'm going to want, you know, a full formal contract. The problem is the easy release app is far from easy. Uh, it's I will start it right now. I will start doing a model release for you <laughs> right now as we speak. So I hit okay. the plus, I hit model, right. I type in Jeff's name. 
I go to the next screen. It now wants to know the country and region oh. and state where I am. I go to the next. I want It wants the date, your model's name, your street, city, zip code, country, and state that you live in, your email, your phone number, uh, the day you were born, uh, oh, it's even asking, uh, your gender, your ethnicity. <laughs> it wants you to take a selfie to prove you're actually there while you're taking it. A witness's name, witness's signature, and then we both signed it, and then it emails it to us. It's nuts. It's crazy. Yeah. So I love the Easy Release app. Uh, I can't remember who makes this app. Uh, it says it's from Application Gap LLC. Anyway, it, it's <laughs> okay. a really useful app. But the problem is it's just way too time-consuming to do that. And it's completely unnecessary. Yeah, um, I think that would cause the the very problem I'm trying to solve. Yep. It's going to be like, why are you asking for all this information for this? That's Yeah, weird. then it does make people feel like, whoa, what am I getting into here? Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, it, yeah, so I, I really, you know, it's good for a full model shoot where I do want that. But if it's just, you know, on the street, you know, you take an awesome photo and you're like, ah, oh, man, I'd love to be able to, you know, sell this as stock or whatever you're going to do with it. Uh, I wish there was just a an app like like Easy Release that actually was easy <laughs> that, you know, is just a simple. These are the terms and you sign it and pew, it's over. Uh, but I, I have not fa- found said app. I would love to love to be able to do that someday. Uh, but I do use I do use that easy release app, and for, for everything else, I I am just using a contract. In the contract, it'll just have a little model release there. When when do you present that to them? How do you go about it? Like that's that's the very reason I haven't done it yet was just like making it seem weird between me and them. Um, I I think most of the people that I've done portrait shoots of have never experienced something like that because they're they're hiring people that don't charge a lot for this service. They aren't usually worried about this thing. And if I, if I give it to them and we're like, why do I have to sign this? You know, in years of shooting, I've never once had anybody get weirded out about a model release. If you have the workflow where you're meeting with the client before, you know, you're at the coffee shop or whatever, uh, talking about the wedding or something, that's a great place to do it. But most of the time I, well, and if it's in a contract, it can just be, you know, when they pay a deposit, whatever. But otherwise, just on the morning of the shoot, I'll, I'll just hand it to them and say, hey, this explains how I can use the photos from, from today's shoot, uh, just to make sure we're totally clear on everything. And, and they usually read through it and sign it. And I've, I've never had anybody get weirded out about it. All right, I guess I need to try it. <laughs> I need to see how it goes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So that's model releases. We uh, since we covered the landscape stuff a few weeks ago, I just wanted to make sure we hit that uh, for the for the portrait. Well, all of us are really portrait photographers, right? Because even if you're a landscape guy, sometimes you'll have a shoot or something like that. So uh, yeah. hopefully, it's helpful. It's what you do to actually make money. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, we are going to talk about some listener questions that have been submitted. Before we do that, we want to take a second and uh, mention Improved Photography Plus. A couple cool things that are coming for you guys on ImprovedPhotographyPlus.com. If you're a member, uh, log into your dashboard this week because next week, August 24, from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m., I want to talk to you on the phone. Uh, so I'm going to do uh, portfolio reviews, live portfolio reviews on the phone uh, with any Improved Photography Plus member that wants one that day. Uh, it, we have the details on the dashboard. You'll just uh, it, you'll email it to a special email address so I can get your photos and I can see it on my computer. And then uh, you'll call in whenever you're available during the day and we'll 
talk on the phone and I'll kind of talk you through the the photos and uh, some things that I might suggest to help improve. And then we have improvephotography.com slash skill levels, where we kind of have a bunch of different skill levels and I'll help you uh, to see kind of what skill level you're at and kind of what, what to focus on for the next few months to get to the next one. Uh, it'd be kind of cool. I've always wanted to do something like this for Improved Photography Plus members, but there are a lot of you. Um, but so I think, I think this would be a cool way. If we don't get you in that day, I think it will probably be very full. Uh, we'll, you know, we'll keep offering these on different days, but, uh, August 24, log into your Improved Photography Plus account and you'll see that available for you. Um, uh, well, log in before and you'll see all the details there. Uh, but uh, August 24 is the day. And also, uh, Brent Bergram's uh, camera, lens, and tripod cleaning class is hitting Improved Photography Plus today, uh, which is pretty cool. I So I asked Brent to do this because, you know, he has he has Brent Rents Lenses, the lens, lens rental and gear rental company. And so he... I mean, he's cleaning more gear more than anybody, uh, right. you know, obviously wants it to go out looking, looking perfect and stuff. And so I said, all right, Brent, you show us like the pro way to do this. Like if we sent this into Canon Nikon, like what's the pro way of doing this? And he gave his full process for exactly how he does it. So pretty cool. I always have lens spots or dust spots on my lens. Do you, Jeff? Yeah, all the time. I have little wipes that I, I use to get them off when I'm going out again. I'm so bad with that. I really am bad with it. Uh, all right, we had some questions submitted. Uh, Alex Crossland says he's using a Canon Rebel T1i, and he's looking at either a 5D2 or a 5D3 from Canon. Um, and he's said he's really only interested in the autofocus points and the two card slots. Uh, so what do you think? Uh, should, he, should he jump from the T1i to the 5D2 or the 5D3? So, uh, my answer would be neither. <laughs> um, I, so what I worry about with all of these photographers looking to upgrade their body, um, is not knowing that there's a lot of other costs associated with going from crop sensor on the T1i to full frame on the 5D1 or, or let's see, two or three. So, um, there's the lens costs that are significant. If you don't have the lenses already, then that's going to be just a killer in the price difference. And if he's looking for focus points and then two SD card slots, you can get that in the 72 for a lot less money. You're going to have all your lenses work and uh, probably get what you want out of it. Now that's not to say that there wouldn't be other advantages for the other, the full frame. Obviously there's, there's going to be some advantages with low light performance, dynamic range. Um, but it's not probably as big as you'd expect. So I went and looked up a, a little bit of the numbers I disag- here. I disagree. I'm sorry, Jeff. <laughs> I have to disagree. Okay. I, think, I think the difference between a T1i <clears throat> and a 5D3 in terms of, because I shot the T1i. I remember the T1i very well. Uh, okay. Compared to a 5D3 in terms of low light performance, it's like night and day. Huge difference. So uh, at least according to the numbers, it's not. It's not that different. The dynamic range is the difference, not the ISO, not the low light performance, which I mean, they're very associated. So uh, yes. So the 5D3 is going to be twice as good at 800 ISO 800 as the T1i. So yeah, right there, that is a big deal. Uh, and then it gets like three times better at ISO 3200. So that's huge. Yeah, that's giant. That's a huge difference. That's, that's massive. Um, but the that's that's not even what he's looking for, right? That he didn't mention the ISO performance is one of his things uh-huh. that he wants. He's so worried about. 
So, um, you know, I, I think that they just, the photographers get this in their head real quick from all these different media outlets about how full frame, you've got to get to full frame in order to get professional results. And that's what I disagree with. You yeah, don't have to I get agree to full frame. With you there. So, so if you're looking for some things that are bugging you about the T1i, and I totally would understand that. The, it's a very functionally limited camera because it's a long time ago that it was released. That's an old there's, camera. There's build quality concerns, the AF points, the to- there's all kinds of things. There's no video. There's, uh, the frame rate is massively different. You're going to have uh, much higher megapixels. There's all kinds of other thing, reasons to get out from the T1i so that you can get more professional results. But it's not that the 5D3 or 5D2 are the only options to get there. You, you have yeah, a 72 option to get there. And yeah, I agree. The 70 is, Mark II sounds like a great option for him. Yeah, and it's going to be a much smaller cost difference to get there than it would be the 5D2 or 3. Now, certainly there's benefits to getting the 5D3. That dynamic range is huge. The ISO performance itself, just like the signal-to-noise ratio, is surprisingly not much different. Uh, it's been a problem with the Canon sensors. They, they haven't improved that a lot in years. It's just not really done that. A 5D4 and the ADD kind of made a bit of more of a jump there. Um, the dynamic range is where there's the difference. So if you were wedding shooting, which is not what he said his use case is, or astrophotography, yeah, those, those would be a big reason to really consider kind of the more expensive jump there. Yeah, I, you know, we always say that, the, you know, the gear doesn't matter as much. You got to focus on your skills and stuff, which is, of course, true. Yeah. Uh, but I, a few months ago, my my sister-in-law came over and we were working on some real estate photography stuff that she wanted to, to practice and learn. And we were shooting on her camera, sh- shot the kitchen, and I looked at the photo on the back of the LCD and I, I said, oh, what is wrong? Something is totally <laughs> up with our settings. And so I looked over everything. I was like, man, we're ISO 200 and why does it look like this? And it just it just looked bad. And so we took the files over to the computer, shooting between ISO 200 and ISO 800 and the file just looked bad. Um, not just the noise. Uh, it, it was just kind of everything. It was the noise. It was the detail that wasn't there. Um, the shadows. It, it just had. The, it wasn't doing well with the dynamic range. You know, out the window. It just the whole thing. I, like I. I really thought something had to be wrong with the camera. Um, and, and it wasn't, it was just, I'm so used to looking at the, looking at photos on the higher end, nicer cameras, uh, that when I looked at, at a image from a Nikon D3200, I thought, Whoa, uh, it's, it's a big difference when, when you're used to looking at something like that. I, and I don't mean to that to discourage anybody. If somebody's just started out, that's camera you got. That's great. In fact, the reason I wanted to mention this is for the opposite reason that like every once in a while, I, I find somebody who, who like did listen to us and says, you're right. It's not about the gear. It's about the skill. And so they'll be on a camera that's really old like that. And they'll get frustrated and they'll be like, man, I'm just not progressing. I'm not making images like everybody else. And, and sometimes it is the gear, like, sure, you know, jumping from a T1i to a 5D3 will be a massive difference uh, in just how the photo looks, uh, that image quality. Yeah, there's also a challenge with 
<clears throat> understanding the menu systems and all the options and everything, you can get, you can go from something that you feel like you kind of understand to something that like, you're like, what, how do you even use this thing yeah, in comparison? True. So there's, there's lots of different things to, to consider there. If I were him, I would definitely do kind of a mid jump first. I would, I would go to something where um, you're going to have lenses that you already can use and uh, get some better quality out of the images. The, the, even the T6i would be a massive improvement for image quality and, <clears throat> and something that he's more familiar with and so on, rather than going all the way to the 5D3 and having to deal with the lenses would be the biggest problem, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and he said, we've talked on Facebook already in the, in the Facebook group, he said that he was planning to just rent lenses in order to do that. I thought, wow, that's going to be an expensive way to go about doing portraits. It's, yeah. It rent, renting lenses every time you're going to need to use it. Um, unless you cover it, you put it in the cost of the portrait shoot, I guess. But uh, I, I would definitely try to, to go for a, mid, a mid-level one until you like master that one. And then you're ready to and, and save up and, and work on your lens selection. And, yeah, I agree that the 70 Mark II would be a great choice here. Um, the only thing I might say is don't expect the 70 Mark II to be an easy camera either. I mean, no, how many no, different right. focus modes do you have on that thing? It's yeah, there's nuts. a lot. That's, uh, and that's you probably won't true. find a big difference in complexity between a 70 Mark II and a 5D3. I mean, they're both very full-featured cameras. Uh, but, it, man, I, I really do think that a lot of people are going to do they're going to get better images on a crop sensor camera. Um, not only is it smaller and lighter and the, and the lenses are less expensive, uh, but also sometimes it's really nice to have that deeper depth of field. Yeah. Yeah, that, absolutely. I, I wonder what would happen if I actually used one. <laughs> 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 if I actually took out a, a 5D4 for a spin for a weekend or something, um, I wonder if it would change my mind. Like, oh, gosh, I really need to get there. I, I don't know. I've shot both crop sensor and full frame a lot, uh, switching back and forth over the years. And, you know, it's, they have both have benefits and drawbacks. I wouldn't say that, you know, all pros should be sitting shooting full frame cameras. It's just sometimes the crop sensor really does have nice advantages. Yeah. All right. Drew Fellers uh, says he's looking for suggestions for a backup workflow. He's up to his eyeballs in external drives, and he's thinking about getting a RAID system. Oh, Drew, I have totally been there. <laughs> I've totally been here. This is... Uh, uh, it can be a frustrating thing until you get it set. And then once you have a good system, it really is not difficult. Uh, but but once you're kind of in this growing pain stage where like you don't fit on your computer's, you know, internal hard drive anymore, you got to work through a few things. But once you get a system, it's it's really not that difficult. I would say just my general advice, though, is 90% of people who think they need a RAID don't really need a RAID system. Just for example, uh, you can get an eight terabyte external hard drive, eight terabytes. Uh, If your photo, if your portfolio fits on an eight terabyte drive, I would highly suggest just going, just getting one single eight terabyte external hard drive uh, as your main drive and then another one to use as your backup and you're totally set. Really the only reason to go more complicated than that to a RAID system is if you just need more than one drive uh, to make this happen. Totally agree. I think there's, so I, the way I, I have an article out, out on improvedphotography.com that can help with this. 
So Drew, go, go check that out. If you just do a Google search for the ultimate backup workflow for photographers, it should be one of the first things to come up. And uh, we can probably put a link to it in the show notes. But um, there's kind of two, um, I call them storage walls <laughs> that photographers hit. The first storage wall is the one that he's already passed. And that is where your your library can't fit on a single drive, mm-hmm. which is what you're saying, Jim, that most, a lot of photographers don't get there. I, I just looked just now. I have 75,000, almost 76,000 photos in my Lightroom catalog. It's all fitting on a four terabyte drive still. It all is one place and it's small enough still that I can sync it to the cloud. So I, I have 321 backup implemented. I talk about what that is in the article if you don't know what that is. That's the first storage one. And that's when people are that really what the first wall is. It doesn't fit on my the drive that came with my computer. That's the first one that people usually hit, especially if you get like a MacBook Pro or a laptop, usually have a lot less storage on those devices when they when you first get them. And so people fill that pretty fast. They, they hit that wall and they like, oh, I need another drive. But then you can buy one of those eight gig external drives and solve that problem for a long, long time. And, uh, and that's the first wall. So you don't need any RAID system. It's pretty inexpensive to do it. But like Drew has hit, the second wall is the the one where I have now four or five or six or more external drives that I'm saving stuff on. Especially if you do much video, you get there in a hurry. Yeah, I, I just looked to myself. I have 23 <clears throat> terabytes of data used. Right. And I right. only have 25 terabytes available. So I'm getting <laughs> close to even maxing out my RAID system. I'm going to have to buy more drives. Yeah, so that's the second wall. And that's, that's the one that's much harder to... Uh, solve because mm-hmm. now you have to invest and it's not cheap to get into a RAID system. That's no, going to be really some not. money. You got to be ready for that. Uh, some of them are are a little bit complicated to set up. Some are a little easier to set up. I have less storage options and it, it's a lot harder problem to solve. Um, so, but it, it, in the article, I kind of go through some of the solutions for that problem though. Yeah, if you, you know, just the Drobo or, you know, sure. whatever system you use, there, there are other ones, but I have the Drobo. So just the Drobo is not that expensive, you know, $450. It, it's pretty manageable. The problem is now you got to fill that with drives. <laughs> uh, right. you, you know, if you're going to buy five, eight terabyte drives to put in there, yep. ouch, it's going to hurt. Yep. Um, yeah. And my recommendation is when you're filling up a RAID system, Go with the bigger drives. Uh, you know, don't you don't you know spend crazy amounts of money on a twelve terabyte because that's just not standard uh, right now. So they're going to be really high priced. But go with the biggest one that that is a reasonable price because over the years you're probably going to fill up again and you're going to have to uh, and you're going to have to replace drives. So if you bought a three, it, you know, you're just going to throw it in the trash. It's better to buy, you know, two eight terabyte drives and leave a couple bays empty uh, than to get a bunch of cheap ones to make sure you fill up your whole your whole RAID array. Um, every year around Christmas time, I go and I go buy one more of whatever the biggest drive is to replace my one from a few years ago uh, so I can kind of keep pace with with the content that I'm creating. Uh, but but again, generally, just have one. Well, I guess the, the thing that I want to make sure is clear, though, is be sure that all of your photos, everything is on one drive on your computer. You know, if that's a RAID and it shows up as one drive, that's fine. Um, but put all of your photos that you've ever taken in one spot. 
because I have been there. I've totally done this, Drew. When you have multiple hard drives, you think you have it straight, and then one day you'll realize, (laughs) I just lost two years of photos. It's happened to me when I was in that spot, had multiple hard drives, and all of a sudden, you'll just realize you made a huge mistake at some point. You you overwrote the data, you lost one hard drive, whatever, one of them died, and you didn't have that specific one backed up. So whatever your system is, just make sure you have all of your photos that you've ever taken in one place on your drive. Then it's much easier to back up and keep track of. Yeah. The challenge though, so that's the way to solve that and you get, now you have one good copy of it now, but you really kind of need to have one that's offsite as well somehow. And that's where it's a problem. That's where it's re- There's not a good solution for this today. Uh, the internet's too slow to be able to, to try to synchronize between two different NAS solutions, especially if you're doing video, you're adding content so fast, it's just impossible. And yeah, you can buy two and then try to, you know, copy them off to one of the RAID systems and take it to mom and dad's house or a friend or, or a relative, but that's manual process. And I, I know I would never do it. It would be, I'd get behind constantly. So that that's the part where where I would have a hard time with it. What are you doing for that, Jim? Uh, yeah, it's just there's no easy way around it. I don't have a full three to one backup because it's just it's impractical right now. Right. Um, you know, when you have twenty three terabytes of data, just syncing it between Drobos is going to take about two days. That's a ton <laughs> right. of data, uh, and, and those are very and you have fast to- drives. And now you have to buy two of those expensive things. Yep. Yeah, it's <laughs> so a huge investment. So you're doubling investment. the cost. Um, and there's there's been like, it could happen, you know, we say fire, flood, whatever, and, but those happen rarely. The more likely scenario is someone could break into your house and steal it. Mm-hmm. And then you're, everything is gone and you have nothing, no way to get it back. But there was a, a pretty significant story on that this summer of, of a, a very famous photographer who had all of her original raw files stolen because they stole a RAID system. Yep. So, um, so that's a, it's just a massive challenge and there just isn't a great solution. I, I do recommend that raid when you hit that second one, you're like, I have three or four external drives. This just isn't manageable anymore. Then yeah, a raid system to, to store all those things in one spot is really, really valuable. It does provide some level of redundancy. It just doesn't provide that, especially if you stay on top of like the lights on the, on the raid system blinking saying, Hey, you got a bad drive and you mm-hmm. fix it and you take care of it. Then then you're highly likely to have stuff uh, last for a long time as you replace those drives. What it, it just won't be the offsite. So if you have any problem in your house that causes the thing to to be gone, then you're out. It's done. Yeah, and so the system that I have now is I have two tro- two Drobos with five drives in each. Uh, all of my data fits on one of those Drobos. And so I have Mm -hmm. one that's permanently plugged into my machine. It's my daily driver. It's what I'm using uh, for everything with my photos on it. And then periodically, realistically, it's like every (laughs) two months, I'm going to, I'm going to plug in the other one when I'm going on a trip and I, and I sync them together. Uh, So, you know, the worst that could happen is I'm going to lose two months of data. I realize it's possible. I would love to have a better solution, but it's just not super practical. No, there Um, isn't one. Two months is good. That's a, you're in a good position if you're remembering to do it that often. I know for me, I wouldn't be that good about it. So it would be worse. 
Yeah, it's 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 tough. Uh, but you know, it's one of those things where I I know what the risk is. I know that's possible, but uh, I I feel like that's okay. I have so I have one plugged in, and the other one that I hide in another place in my house, so that you know, if there were a break in or something, somebody's unlikely to to find both unless they like totally cleaned out the house. If there were a, a fire. Yep, I'm out of luck. I, that's just something that I'm not protected against. Right. Uh, but but you know, I look at the you know the realistic chance of that happening compared to what it would cost to to make to do that, and I just I'm gonna assume the risk. It's okay. Agreed. Yep. All right. I just wanted to bring up one other point that uh, isn't so much of a question, but it's just something like. Once a month, I've heard this for years. <laughs> I've got uh, comments like this. And so I just, uh, I wanted to mention this one um, because I get it so regularly hey, everyone, that I wish uh, I wish more photographers would give it a shot. This one's from Joseph Land, who's been a, a longtime loyal fan of improved photography. I hear from him regularly. Um, and he just mentioned on Facebook, he said, I prim- primarily shoot landscapes and I finally brought bought an L bracket today. My only question is, why didn't I do this before? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I did the same thing. Once I finally bought one, I was like, oh, why have I been doing it that way for so long? Yep. Yep, Uh, totally. I got mine in the beginning of the summer this year, finally. So it'd been four and a half years of shooting with that one. Oh, wow. You really held out, Jeff. I did. Well, and it's because I looked into it a while ago, and what it meant was I had to do something about a tripod, too. It wasn't just the L bracket. So it's like another oh, one of those your hidden costings. Wasn't, wasn't yeah, Arcus it was, was a proprietary exactly. Ah. It was a proprietary quick release plate, and the L bracket won't fit in there. So uh, that meant a tripod head too. So I had to wait until I could. I had the money to buy both of them at once. Ah, that is frustrating. This ah, this drives me nuts about Manfrotto. <laughs> it, never, ever, ever buy a Manfrotto ball head. Because they are not Arca Swiss compatible, and almost all of the others are. Not there are exceptions, but most ball heads are going to be Arca Swiss compatible. Uh, but Manfrotto is is the notable holdout that there's just aren't because uh, they want you to buy their your their proprietary quick release plates and stuff. But it's so limiting if you aren't using an uh, an Arca Swiss compatible head uh, because like this you just can't find an L bracket. So very very frustrating yeah it, mine was happened to be an enduro brand so it wasn't it mm-hmm. wasn't manfrotto mm-hmm. but it was an older brand they don't even sell anymore they've gone to selling only arca swiss compatible oh, heads since then thank you enduro. so so this was you know it was the first real tripod i bought about three or four years ago and uh i knew i wanted the l bracket i knew that everyone said i needed to do that but i <laughs> i had to make sure um, to, to get the head at the same time or else it was of no value. So I, it took a while before I saved the money and the priorities like the lenses and stuff came before I could finally get there. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. But if, if any listeners are out there who are L, L bracket holdouts and you use a tripod, you know, if you're a portrait photographer and you just never use a tripod, eh, then this isn't a big deal. But if you ever use a tripod, oh, get yourself a L bracket. They're so nice. It's basically <laughs> just a piece of metal that goes under your, uh, your camera, like a normal quick release plate, but then it also curves up to the side of the camera. And so when you want to go vertical, uh, you want to shoot a vertical orientation picture, you just unlock the, the camera from the ball head. So it's loose. And then you set it with the, with the plate that goes along the other side and you clamp it down again. It's just yep. way faster. It keeps the camera centered on there instead of like 
dangling right. your camera awkwardly to the left of the ball head. Um, so highly recommended. Oh, yeah. All right. We got one uh, call from Justin Gross a few weeks ago uh, who had a really cool photo opportunity. And I asked him to uh, call in and just tell everybody about what it is that he was doing in photography. So we'll listen to that now. Hey, everyone. This is Justin Gross located in southern Indiana. I just wanted to share an awesome experience on photographing an item that comes up once in a lifetime. At the beginning of July 2017, I had the honor on being able to take some images of an artifact of Abraham Lincoln's. This item was a powder horn that he utilized following the Black Hawk Indian War. Believe it or not, the powder horn was found in someone's old shoebox. Once found, some painstakingly research was done by prominent historians in the area and then was authenticated that it was actually from the 16th president. The owner of the powder horn then reached out to me wanting some images, knowing I dabbled in photography as well as being a huge history buff. Abraham Lincoln spent his childhood and teenage years in my home county, so the area here runs rich with Abraham Lincoln, but this powder horn is one of the few items that have been authenticated. As a hobbyist photographer, I had modest gear. I used a Nikon D500, two constant lights, white reflector, burlap backdrop, and a Takina 24-70 lens. After I calmed my nerves on holding something with such historical significance, I then began photographing the powder horn every way imaginable. My favorite image, which is found on my Facebook, was done at F13, 160 a second, and ISO 1250. Some very minor editing was done in Lightroom as I wanted the image to, to be as real as possible. I want to give a big thanks goes to Sandy DeRoe as her product photography class really helped me out. Also, thanks to Jim for letting me share my story with everyone, and thank you for all you do. So, pretty cool. Uh, so he got to uh, photograph an actual Abraham Lincoln powder horn, like the one that actual Abraham Lincoln had, um, and uh, just kind of walked through his photo. I just thought it was really cool that, uh, that a listener got that opportunity. That'd be pretty awesome. Wow, no kidding. Well, we... Uh, published an awesome article this week on improvephotography.com um, that was a print test uh, that many people have, have been asking for years for. Uh, so we did a, a print comparison a few years ago of all the different print labs of, you know, paper prints. Um, and we've had the question over and over again about, you know, canvas prints, acrylic prints, metal prints, etc. And leave it to our buddy Brian McGuckin who did it. And so check out the article. It's definitely worth it. But here's the the uh, the uh, too long didn't read version. Pro DPI was the winner uh, for the canvas print test. They also won our uh, paper print test. Bay Photo won the best metal print, and Nevada Art Printers won the best acrylic print in his test. So I thought it was pretty cool. That's incredible. He went that broad on the testing to get to Nevada Art Printers. That's, yeah, <laughs> that's pretty good. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I'd never heard of them before, but yeah. next time I love acrylics. You can't beat an acrylic. They are the just gorgeous prints, but they're very expensive. Uh, but next time I do one, I'm going to give them a try. It's pretty cool. Uh, doodads of the week. Mine is the lens that has been staring at me wanting to play for the last couple weeks. It is the Sony FE 16 to 35 F 2.8 GM lens. This is the brand new full frame Sony wide angle lens, um, that has been getting incredible rave reviews, um, from ev from everybody that's tested it so far. Mine came in the mail, uh, whatever, a week and a half, two weeks ago. And it's just been staring at me. It's been, a it's sit there. I, I took, did one shoot with it and I was pretty happy with what I saw, but I mean, it was just wasn't enough to really form an opinion of it. Uh, but I am really anxious to get out and play with that lens, but I've had uh, life coming at me for the last week or so. 
and I'm going to suggest Lightroom Mobile. Uh, I'm going to be doing a photo taco episode on this in the in the not too distant future because there is so much there. If you haven't checked out Lightroom Mobile for a while, it's really really compelling now. The only downside uh, to it at the moment is that you, in order to actually get like photos from your desktop into Lightroom Mobile, the, you need to to import your photos into Lightroom and build a collection. So that process is, of course, terribly slow. <laughs> but besides that, once they're there inside of Lightroom Mobile, and of course you can uh, just through your phone upload them, so so that you can you can do it that way. But it is almost full parity with the desktop solution. Now you can do almost every single edit that you could do on the desktop version of Lightroom in Lightroom Mobile, and it does it faster in a lot of cases. Um, Really, really cool application. Now I've been playing around with it a lot. I'm, I am looking forward to upgrading my iPhone uh, when they release the the next version later this year, so that I can finally get access to raw versions out of my phone. I can't on the six plus, and uh, it just kills me that Apple arbitrarily decides these things. But but um, I've been able to edit the photos that I take with my phone, and even done a lot with uh, collections that I'm syncing up and doing rating and reviewing of the photos too. So like culling process, really, really cool. I've done it even like using Lightroom mobile upstairs in my living room instead of downstairs on my desktop with my family around me on some pictures that we've taken for family stuff and uh, editing it right there. And they're like, Ooh, I like that or make it darker, make it lighter, whatever, using like the Apple TV to mirror my iPhone display and they can see it on the TV screen. So fun. It's really cool. So if you haven't checked out Lightroom Mobile recently, you need to go check it out. It is available for free. There are a couple of features that are not enabled if you don't have a Creative Cloud subscription, Creative Cloud. Um, and you certainly can't sync your photos without that either. That's one of the features that you have to have Creative Cloud for. But besides that, it's free and you can use it um, to edit your photos from your phone. Very cool. I I had a I almost killed my iPhone uh, yesterday. I was out with the kids dirt biking out in the desert, and I set my phone on the tire while I was uh, while I was loading up the dirt bikes and stuff. And then I started driving afterward, Uh-oh. and I drove about a hundred yards, and I realized, hey. Where, where's my phone? How am I supposed to play my audiobook? So I looked around everywhere, drove back to where we had parked, <laughs> and you can see this perfect tire tread from my truck going through the dust straight over my phone and continuing. And the tire tread, you know, the, with the dust, you can see on the screen of my phone, and it didn't crack it. It was amazing. <laughs> I, you I can't ro- even drove explain over it. Over your phone, a glass up like. Wow! Right over the middle of it, uh, and there's this tiny, tiny little light leak uh, on on one little spot, <laughs> but it's tiny. Um, it, the phone is basically still brand new. It's awesome. Wow. I, as crazy. soon as I real, as soon as I saw the tire tread going over it, I thought, oh no, that was a nine hundred dollar mistake. But I was saved. All right. You also have a do don't of the week. Yeah. So this was my do dad of the week several months ago, uh, back in January, I think maybe February. Um, it's the Lexar jump drive S 45. So this is a 128 gig USB thumb drive. It's very unique though, in that it's like a slim profile. It only sticks out from your laptop. That's where I was using it about five millimeters or so. So it's this tiny, tiny little extension out of your computer it does take up the usb drive slot of course but um, i loved it because it added like 50 percent more storage to my macbook pro 
And that's where I was using, putting photos that I was editing there. And I had a complete failure of the device just like overnight in less than eight months of what I'd say is pretty light usage. It's just completely dead. And uh, I talked about this in the Photo Taco podcast episode, so I won't go over it anymore in this one. But uh, I was very disappointed in how that one turned out. Oh, that's too bad. I actually am holding in my hand right now a different flash drive from Lexar. Mine's only 32 gigabytes, but I thought it was really cool. Uh, this one has a USB-C connection on one side and the regular USB on the other side. Uh, cool. I thought that was kind of cool. I, I was looking cool. for one in the store and I saw this and I thought, hey, talk about future proofing. Uh, yeah. That was really cool. So who knows? Anyway, thanks everybody for joining us this episode uh, on this episode of the Improved Photography Podcast. We appreciate your download. Uh, please check us out on improvedphotography.com. We have multiple articles going out every single day uh, with all kinds of photography information and news and tips and just fun stuff. So check it out. We'll see you in another seven days. 